it's Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 13, and it's titled, A Joy-Filled Life. If you have a Bible today, please take that Bible and go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at three verses today, verses 11, 12, and 13. For 47 weeks now, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Romans. It's a series entitled, A Life Transformation. The guy writing this, Paul, inspired through the Holy Spirit of God, is saying, I'm telling you, when you're in Christ, your life will be changed. There will be a great transformation that takes place. Now, if you're new to us here at Highland Park, this is how we do things. Uh, we will expositorily walk through a, ver- or a book verse by verse by verse until we're done. Now, I would be the first to say, yeah, there are times where we find ourselves having to deal with uh, particular issues and subjects that are happening in our culture, that are happening in our own nation. But yet, I love doing it expositorily because... God knows what's going to be happening before we ever get there. And God knows the truth of his word and God conveys that to us. And so please hear me. I'm never going to stand up here and veil anything by giving you a verse of scripture and then talking about something that has nothing to do with the scripture. Okay, I'm not going to use scripture. I'm not going to prostitute God's word to give you some kind of report. Or do you give you some kind of uh, self-help message? Or to deal with anything except God's Word? And so that's kind of who we are. I've found that my calling is to help you and to encourage you and to spur you on to fall more in love with His Word and more in love with Him. And so today we're talking about a joy-filled life. A joyful life. Uh, I heard about this guy. Maybe you heard about him one time. He, uh, believe it or not, he didn't get along very well with his wife. And the only person he didn't like more than his wife was his mother-in-law. His wife's mother. I just saw somebody elbow somebody. Um, <laughs> and so they, they were there one day. They were talking and the wife said, Now, I know that you don't like me. And he said, that's right. (laughs) And I know the only person you dislike more than me is my mother. He said, that's exactly right too. She said, I need you to make me a promise. If I die before you die, you promise me that you will ride in the car with my mother behind the hearse in my funeral procession. He said, let me get this right. You want me to ride in the car behind the hearse with your mother at your funeral? She said, yes, promise me. He said, okay, I promise you. I'll ride in the car at your funeral with your mother behind the hearse, but you need to understand, it'll take the joy out of the ride. (laughs) Here's what I found. There are a lot of folks out there that don't have any joy in the ride. We're talking about folks who profess Christ. 
They don't have joy in the ride and they're just not enjoying life very much and they're just enduring life. That there are people all around us that are merely marking time and they're counting off days and months and years on the calendar. That there are people who think that when I can finally reach that next stage, that will bring me happiness and joy. For instance, if you're in school, you think, well, when I finally graduate and I go off to college, then I'll find happiness. And then you're in college. If I can finally finish college and get a job, then I'll be happy. Let me just state, as one who has fulfilled those stages, nope, that's when the bills come. (laughs) Or if you're single, if you're single, you think, well, you know what? When I, when I get married and I have a family, that's when I'll find happiness. And some precious little old lady in the first service, when I said that, she's like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> or you're working, and you think, you know, when I finally retire, that's when I can find happiness. And you retire, and you're like, well, what now? What is next? Understand, guys. Before we can dig in this passage of Scripture, there is a truth that every single one of us need to be reminded of, and it is in John 10, verse 10. And here's what Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. It means that I don't have to wait until I go through some stage in order to have happiness and joy in my life. I don't have to wait to go through a graveyard or a seminary to... Or, <laughs> a cemetery, <laughs> Freudian slip, or a, now I can't even say it, a cemetery to experience the benefits of the Christian life. That understand he is doing something even greater than just heaven when you die. And so that's what Paul is going to talk about. You can have abundant, joyful life right now. And that's what we're going to read in our text. Now, let me remind you, if you've not been here, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he's been talking about doctrine. Matter of fact, he comes to 9, 10, and 11, and we're all just scratching our heads like, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I understand what he is saying there. And you remember what I said? If you just make it all about Jesus, you can kind of wade through it. I found that to be true of all the Bible. But when we come to chapter 12, he's saying, okay, we've, we've dealt with the doctrine. We've dealt with what we believe. Now let's talk about how we live. How is that doctrine changing the way that we live? I would submit to you, if your doctrine does not transform and change you, then it is philosophy, but don't say it's doctrine. And so that's what we've been doing in chapter 12. And so there in verse 11, he tells us, here's how you can have an abundant, spirit-filled, joyful life. Look there with me in verse 11 of Romans 12. He says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. You would agree with me, folks, that's not very deep. 
not very mysterious. I don't even know that you can even say that's very theological, but he is giving us some basic practical things that the Bible says that if you are in Christ, you are saved. These are things that you ought to be doing. So I want us this morning to examine these directives on how to enjoy life. When complacency creeps into your life, what do you do? When apathy or boredom creep into the life of a child of God, what do you do? So this morning, let's look at how to experience a joyful life. Now, let me make this clear before we start breaking this down. I'm not one of those that loves saying, hey, I'm going to tell you 10 steps to be a better husband. I'm going to give you six steps on how to be a better parent or anything along those lines. That even though today, while he's kind of laying out some practical things for us, understand these are all secondary to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you can try every single one of these things that we're going to mention today, but if you don't belong to Jesus, then it's not going to produce joy in your life. It's going to produce disappointment and pain. And so what he's talking about, he is talking about things that flow out of a heart that is bent to Jesus, right? A love that you have for Jesus. So with that being said this morning, how can you have this? Look at verse 11 again. Look at what he says. He says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. How can you experience joy in your life right now? First of all, you serve him with enthusiasm. You serve him with enthusiasm. I know that sometimes people think that the more spiritual you become, the sadder you're supposed to look. And some of you, man, you have really gotten that one down. There are days that I want to go and check and see if we're serving pickle juice in the coffee bar. That the more spiritual you get, the more dull life is supposed to be, and the more serious you are when it comes to your existence, but that's not what the Bible says. That word enthusiasm is a great word. It comes from two Greek words, in theos. Theos means God. So the more in God you are, the more enthusiastic you're going to be. The more in God you are, the more zeal you're going to have in your service. The more fervor you're going to have and the more enthusiastic you will be in your life. And stop and think about the guy who was writing this. Paul was an enthusiastic guy. Paul had all kinds of energy and drive. Everything he did, he did to the utmost. But when you read other things that he wrote, it makes sense why he did. One is found over in the book of Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 23. Listen to what Paul wrote. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. So he says, hey, I know that you have a job. I know that you probably have a boss. You're not working for the boss, you're working for me. That's the reason why you treat the boss with the utmost respect. Because you're showing Jesus. 
And so whatever it is that you do, you do it with all your might through the help of the Spirit because you're not working for men, you're working for the Lord. And yet as I look around, what I see most often is people who are bored. And I don't know, some folks will say, well, it's because we live in such a, a thrill-seeking environment, right? Such an excitement culture that we go from one adventure theme park to another adventure theme park. Let this be my testimony this morning. I think I can finish out my life without ever going to another theme adventure park again. We want to ride a roller coaster that's bigger and faster and goes further than the one we rode before. We're all looking for the next thrill. And in between, listen to me, in between all of these artificial thrills and all of these action-packed movies and television shows, we find ourselves sitting back and we're like, boring. Life is just boring. I've been there. I've done that right. I've gotten the t-shirt. We've done it all. And this can even be true with the person who professes Christ. And complacency will set in our lives. So what in the world are we going to do when complacency takes place in our lives? The Bible says you combat it. With what? With enthusiastically serving the Lord. You serve him with enthusiasm. I got saved as a child. In my teenage years is when God started calling me to ministry. God started doing a great work in my life. I can remember young people as a teenager sitting there and looking around and seeing people in their 30s and 40s and 50s in church and they seem like the most miserable, miserable people you would ever see. And I can remember my prayer as a teenager. Oh, God, please don't ever let me lose my fire for Jesus. Oh, please keep me on fire for you. And friends, listen to me. What happens is there are so many folks out there, and they're just going through the motions. I believe it's a sin to make the Bible and Jesus boring. Now, I'll tell you, there's some churches boring. Start at 11 a.m. sharp every Sunday dull, end at 12 high noon dull. For the life of me, I've never figured that out. Listen to what Vance Havner said. He said, I never understood why Christians could go, through a, go to a stadium on Saturday and holler like a, like a bunch of Comanche Indians and then come to church on Sunday and sit like a bunch of wooden Indians. You say, well, that's not politically correct for you to say that. I didn't say that. Vance Havner said that. So if the Bible teaches that you really know who Jesus is and you know what is coming to you in the future, then you're going to be so full of enthusiasm. You're going to be so full of zeal that it says in verse 11, you'll never be lacking it. There'll never be a time where you say, oh boy, I wish I had some enthusiasm about my service to Jesus. Now hear me, I'm not talking about just plain enthusiasm. You can be enthusiastic about the wrong thing. We all know people that are enthusiastic about the wrong thing. 
So we're not just talking about plain enthusiasm. The subject of your enthusiasm makes all the difference in the world. I'm just saying to you that if you're in Christ, you ought to have enthusiasm as you serve him. You say, when I hang on, that's quick for you to say because you're called to be a pastor. You are called to a spiritual job. I would say this morning, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a janitor, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a lawyer, you're called to a spiritual job as well. Enthusiasm. It's not just enthusiasm. I heard about this guy one time many, many years ago, and he was a traveling salesman door to door, and he was selling vacuum cleaners. And he was so enthusiastic about selling his vacuum cleaners and he would go out to rural areas and go from house to house. One day he found himself in a far extreme rural area. And so this is the way that he would always do it. He would walk up to the door, he would knock on the door. When the, when the lady would come to the door, he would sit there and he would take a handful of dirt, he would throw it down on the floor and he would say, I want you to know how great my vacuum cleaner is for every bit of dirt that it does not vacuum up I'll eat and he was so enthusiastic and zealous about it he knew it could vacuum up anything so he was at this one house this little old lady came to the door he did his spiel he threw the dirt down on the floor he said ma'am understand I'll eat every morsel of dirt this vacuum cleaner does not suck up that's how much I believe in this vacuum cleaner the little old lady walked into the kitchen opened the drawer got a spoon brought it back to him and handed it to him and she said here you're going to need this we don't have electricity We're not talking about just plain old enthusiasm. We're talking about spiritual enthusiasm. We're talking about spiritual zeal. And can I just stop and say this? I found it has nothing to do with your chronological age. Some of the most enthusiastic people that I know that serve the Lord Jesus Christ are in their 70s, they're in their 80s, they're in their 90s. They've not backed up one single bit. They're hitting it harder than they've ever hit it before. On the other hand, I know some folks in their 20s and 30s who are bored with life. And they don't have any enthusiasm with life. They don't have any enthusiasm with Jesus. As the old country preacher used to say, I know some young people that are already in a spiritual rut. And a rut is this. It is a grave with both ends kicked out. And they're just going along with no enthusiasm, no zeal in their life. Look at what verse 11 says. Verse 11 says, don't be lacking in zeal. Don't be lacking in zeal. Let me illustrate. Have you ever, uh, have you ever walked up to a young couple who were recently married and they just got back from their honeymoon? And you ask them the question, so how was your honeymoon? And they responded, eh, it's all right. It's okay. It's fine. Did you want to come back? Yeah, we, we did. We wanted to get back to work. Could, couldn't wait to get home. I mean, we were, we were in Hawaii. It's beautiful. 
Now, that, you've never heard that, have you? Now, that's not the case because they're so excited. There's so much enthusiasm there in their life. They're like, man, we didn't want to come back. It's the greatest thing that we've ever done. Oh, it was so wonderful. It was so great. They're all excited. I'm just saying that reminds me of a lot of Christians, that there are a lot of people who are not Christians, and the reason why they're not Christians is because they've looked at us. Hello? They've listened to us. Here's the way some people share their faith. You, you wouldn't want to come to Jesus now, would you? I mean, he's, he's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. He's, he's changed me forever. No wonder. No wonder. Because they're watching us and they're listening to us. The Bible says that if you want to have abundant, joy-filled life as a follower of Jesus, you should serve him with enthusiasm. And I'll tell you something that will give you a great amount of zeal. Understand God is so great and God is so good. God does not need us to do one single thing. Yet he's chosen to get the gospel message out through you and I. So while he doesn't need me to serve, he says, I want you to. Come and partner with me. And stop and think. We're not talking about just something that will help you draw a paycheck, friend. We're talking about something that will help you save a life. Here's the second one. I want to stoke the fire. I want to serve with enthusiasm and I want to stoke the fire. Look at the last part of verse 11 in our text. Those words, spiritual fervor, they mean a fire. A fire that is boiling over. It means that you're so fired up for Jesus that people see you glowing for Jesus. Jesus talked about this over in the book of Luke Chapter 12, verse 49. And some folks couldn't believe this is what he said, but listen to what he said. Luke 12, 49. I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Folks are amazed that he made that statement. In other words, though, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I came to do something. I came to ignite a fire and I wish that fire were already lit. Now, he's not talking about the destructive nature of fires. He's not talking about a fire that burns a house down. He's not talking about a fire that kills someone. No, he's talking about the positive aspect of fire. Fire gives energy. Fire warms. Fire illuminates. Fire radiates. In the Bible, God's presence is symbolized by fire. When God spoke to Moses, he did it through the burning bush. When Elijah, when God heard from heaven and Elijah was calling out to God, what did he do? It says that fire fell from heaven. Malachi even says this. He says that our God is like a refiner's fire. Do you know what Jesus is talking about there in Luke chapter 12? He is saying this, I came to put into each person's heart a burning, penetrating fire of the powerful presence of God. I came to light your fire. Stoke your fire. Get fired up for Jesus. Jesus. 
Can I put it in panhandle vernacular? You know I'm from Southport. I'll put it in Southportian vernacular. Get lit for Jesus. I mean, that's a t-shirt right there, isn't it? My fear is some of you might uh, misinterpret what we mean by that. Because you can remember the days before you were delivered. That's what he is saying. He says, John baptized you with water, but I'm telling you, I'm coming and I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to baptize you in fire. Jesus is saying this, I want you to be so fired up with the very glory of God and the very presence of God that when people look at you, they'll see you glowing for Jesus Christ. John Wesley, he was the founder of the Methodist Church. He was four feet, 11 inches tall. Yeah. They kicked him out of the Anglican church because he preached the Bible. It's okay. He went out into the fields of England and he would just set up outside of a town and he'd just start preaching Jesus in the Bible. There was one particular town where there was a group of, uh, uh, of hellions. You know what hellions are, right? People who act like hell. I, no, I, it's serious. It's, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. Um, a group of hellions sent message and said this, that if, if Wesley came to their town and preached, they would go out, they would beat him up, and they would throw him out of the town. Yet Wesley came anyway. Little four foot 11 inch Wesley. He set up outside the town and he started preaching and these hellions, they came. They had their clubs and they were gonna do what they said. And when they showed up, the leader of that group, they stopped, and the leader of that group looked and said, oh my goodness, look, he glows. Tom Wesley, he glows, he glistens. And so they sat their clubs down, they sat down, they listened to Wesley preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, and every one of those hellions became heavians, I guess, a heavenins, I don't know how you would say it, right? Every one of them got saved, every one of them got saved, and it was, what was it in John Wesley that allowed God to use him? He had the fire of God on him. He was on fire for Jesus Christ. That's exactly what this passage says that we all ought to have. Never, he says, never lacking in spiritual fervor. The great Charles Spurgeon one time a young preacher came to him and asked him, how can I have the same impact, Spurgeon, that you are having? And here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, very simple, pour gasoline all over your body, light a match, and people will come and watch you burn for Jesus. He said, I'm on fire for him. So let's make it practical now. Can we make it personal? Sure we can. Let me ask you this question. When somebody talks about your level of commitment, when somebody talks about your personal commitment, do they say about you, that man's on fire for Jesus? Do they say about you, that woman's on fire for Jesus? That teenager is on fire for Jesus? Or when they talk about you, do they say, that man's on fire for his ball team? That woman's on fire for her grandkids? That teenager's on fire 
for that extracurricular activity. Now, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with those things. I have a ball team. I don't have any grandkids, but I do have kids. There are extracurriculars that I'm a part of. And they're wonderful hobbies. They make terrible gods. When people talk about you, what do they say about you? I think the biggest enemy we face in the church today is apathy and complacency. I just don't care. Church, if we're not going to get fired up for Jesus, who is going to get fired up for Jesus? If we don't become enthusiastic for Jesus, who will be enthusiastic for Jesus? This is exactly what the Bible says you and I ought to do. So if you're sitting there this morning, and if you are saying, hey, the Christian life is boring, it's your fault. Get on fire for Jesus. Don't lose that enthusiasm. Get lit for Christ. <laughs> Some of you are already tweeting that right now. But look at verse 12 with me, okay? It's talking about afflictions and troubles and difficulties when they crash in your life. What are you going to do? He says in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. And a lot of times we get so confused because a Christian sometimes will think, hey, I'm a Christian. I mean, folks say this to me. Hey, I'm a Christian, but I still have problems. I thought that once I gave my life to Christ, I would no longer have problems. Who told you that? That is a lie. That is a lie. There are folks out there, well, uh, you know, if you have enough faith, you won't have problems. Again, lie. As long as you're walking around with this thing on you called flesh, you're going to have problems. Christians have all kinds of difficulties. Unfortunately, we're a lot like the guy that I heard about who was sitting at a table and he was one day working furiously on something at the kitchen table. And his wife came in and she said, honey, what is it that you're doing? And he said, I'm trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle. He said, I've been working. I just can't get the pieces to fit, but it's supposed to look like the picture of the rooster that is on the box, but I can't get it to work. And his wife looked at the box. His wife looked at the puzzle. His wife looked at him and she said, honey, put the cornflakes back in the box <laughs> hear me there are a lot of people that are trying to put together this puzzle of life and they don't have the right pieces they can't get it to work folks say pastor pastor why pastor if i'm living for jesus pastor why am i still having trouble or they'll even say why god why if i'm so faithful why am i having to deal with affliction affliction is going to come in your life tribulation is going to come in your life you or i have no control over that i promise you probably none of you in this room that today are saying hey god Pour out some affliction on me. Hey, God, things have been going really good. About time for a little bit of trouble. You can't control that. One thing you can control is how you're going to react to it. I'm going to serve with enthusiasm. I'm going to stoke the fire. The third one, I'm going to stand firm in Jesus. Verse 12 gives us three responses. When we're standing firm in Jesus to a 
tribulation and affliction. The first one, I see beyond my circumstances and I rejoice. I see beyond my circumstances and I rejoice. That's what it says in verse 12. Rejoice, be joyful in hope. That wherever you are, whatever is happening, rejoice in the Lord. You say, how in the world can I rejoice in tribulation and in trouble? The key is to be joyful in hope. Hope allows you to look beyond your pain and to see down the road and to say this, you know what, I know it's going to get better in the future and I'm going to rejoice right now. And you say, well, pastor, that's the problem. I don't know that it is going to get better in the future. Friend, I'm telling you, based upon the authority of God's Word, if you're in Jesus Christ, it is going to get better in the future. Now, it may not get better in this life, but can I remind you, brother and sister, we've not been created for this world. That's why the Bible says Jesus Christ, look to him. He's our blessed hope. You rejoice in hope. Secondly, I'm going to stand for Jesus by staying patient. What it says there in verse 12, patient. Now, I want you to understand this. Patience In the Bible, doesn't mean that you just kind of idly sit there. Patience doesn't mean that you're twiddling your thumbs saying, okay, God, when are you going to do something? Okay, God, when are you going to get to work? No, in the Bible, patience is an active trust in God as you are serving with enthusiasm Jesus. And so that trust is this, that whatever pain, whatever problems you're going through, that all of it, hear me, that all of it in the end is going to work out for your good and for God's glory. You say, I don't know how. My goodness, if you did, you could write a book and make millions. I don't think any of us know how. Well, how's God going to keep his promise? I don't know how, but I know he does. That you can believe the promise that he'll work all things for your good and for his glory, right? And for his glory, just as you can believe the promise that salvation is found through Jesus Christ. Just as you can believe the promise that Jesus is one day going to come and he's going to snatch this khaki carpus out of here. If he lied about that, then we can't believe anything he says. That we'll throw it all away. But we can believe him because not only is he truth, we wouldn't even know truth if it were not for him. How am I going to stand firm to Jesus? I've got to look beyond the circumstances and I rejoice because God will do something good. I've got to stay patient. Again, not sitting idly by in my lawn chair saying, all right, God, when are you going to like the fireworks? I'm ready. But I'm going to serve Jesus. And then finally, I'll steadfastly pray. Friend, did you know it's impossible to worry while you're praying? You can't do it. You can't. If you're worrying, start praying. Because if you start praying, you'll stop worrying. Likewise, when you stop praying, that's when you start worrying. But it's impossible to do both at the same time. And I know some of you are thinking, but I'm a multitasker. I don't care. I don't care. It is impossible 
to do both at the same time. James 1, 2 and 3 says this. Consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. See, a lot of times folks will say this, when I get rid of some of these problems in my life, when I get rid of some of these difficulties and disappointments in my life, then that's when I'll start enjoying life. The only time you're going to get rid of the problems in this life is when you are no longer in this life. Mm. Trouble's inevitable, friend, in this life. Please hear this. Trouble is inevitable. Misery is optional. You don't have a choice about whether there's going to be pain in your life, whether there's going to be disappointment in your life, whether there's going to be tribulation and suffering. Neither one of us have that, have that decision to make, a choice to make, but we do have a choice in how we respond to it. When the world out there starts seeing the kind of joy that he talks about here in the lives of us, They'll literally knock, down, knock the doors off of this church to get in. And here's what they'll say. I want that kind of life. I want that kind of life. They'll not do it by the singing, even though, my goodness, we are blessed with some talented musicians. They'll not do it because of the preaching. They'll not do it because of the children or the student programs, even though they're all great. And I'd be remiss to not say anything about our college and young adult ministry as well. But when they start seeing the enthusiasm and the joy that we have in Christ living this life and the way we love, they'll say, I want what they've got. Several years ago, uh, I was on a, on a mission trip down in South America, Ecuador. Some of you guys have been with me and you know, we had to stop all that due to COVID. Well, we had something before that called a hurricane and then COVID. And, and so I'm, I'm excited for us to get this going again. Uh, 18, 18 times I've been there to minister to the Quechua Indians. And uh, I know that when I go there, I'm the sideshow. I know that I'm the big, tall, North American, really pale and, uh, you know, they want to come and see you, you, you walk through the market, Randy, remember this, you walk through the market and they'll say, you, senor, you, senor. And they'll, they'll take you through every room and they'll take you to the very, very back like a leather market. And there'll be this one jacket hanging on the wall that has a light shining on it. And they're like, this is for you. Uh, because they, somebody made it a long time ago. They've been waiting for somebody fat enough to get there. <laughs> that can wear it. But we go into those communities, and we always will go to the schools, and they'll invite us to come into the schools. Yeah, come, come on, we'll do it, we'll do it, assembly. Yeah, yeah, we'll stop class right now, you come. And so we do with them what we do with our vacation Bible schoolers here. We walk them through the salvation bracelet. You have kids, grandkids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just has different colored beads on there, and each bead tells the gospel story of Jesus Christ. And so naturally, we have to have translators, and, um, and so I'll speak, and they'll speak, and they'll translate it to Spanish, then they'll have to translate it to Quechua, which is a dead language. 
And so we were there at one of the schools and we shared with the kids and give them an opportunity if they wanted to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And, and then we would go out into the community and just walk down the roads and start going to different little huts and villages and all this kind of stuff. And I was with my interpreter and he said, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go this way. And we were already out in a rural area and we just kept going more rural and more rural. And you're like, were you on a dirt road? No, there was no road. And, uh, and so he said, we're going to climb up over this hill. Now, let me just say this. A hill to you and I is something that if you go, I don't know, 60 miles an hour, maybe your stomach will just, ooh, a little bit like that. A hill to them is, if I take wrong, one wrong step, I'm going to plunge 4,000 feet. We're going to go over this little hill, and then we're going to go up here, and there's a family that lives up there, and they've requested you to come. Okay. So we get up there and there's this little hut, but yet they had built the hut into the side of this mountain. And they had a granddaughter that had been at one of the schools that day. She was wearing the bracelet. And so they said, come, we want, and so I went in through this. It was almost like a little root cellar type thing and went further back, further back, further back. We finally got back in there and the grandfather, the patriarch of the family, I and mean, they, they all lived together, but he was there in bed. And uh, the translator said, he has terminal cancer. They, they, they know he doesn't, he doesn't have much time left. Weird, I walked in there though, I looked at him. Jay, you would love this. He had on a New York Yankees cap. And I'm like, God is my witness, we gotta get rid of that. And uh, I, had on a, I had on a red St. Louis Cardinals cap and I'm like, let me give you my hat. Um, and, uh, and, and, he, and he put that on. And here's what they ask. Our granddaughter came home. I mean, they're all shoved in this little room. Our granddaughter came home. Our granddaughter told us the story of one that can give the gift of eternal life. Is it true? Is it true? Yes, it's true. And I began to share with them that same story that I'd shared at that school. Had nothing to do with me. Had everything to do with the goodness and the mercy and the grace of our Father. Not only did that grandfather, who was on his dying bed, gave his life to Jesus. Everybody in that entire hut called upon the name of Jesus and were saved that day. And then all of a sudden something happened that it was a little surprising to me. I didn't really know what they were saying. They started screaming at the top of their lungs. Esferdad! Is that right? Am I saying it right? It is true. Esferdad! It is true! They started running outside of the hut. and They were running down and going down the little pathway to neighbors' homes. And Esferdad! It is true! It is true, there is one that gives the gift of eternal life. There is one that forgives sin. It's not make-believe. It's true. 
I don't know that I've ever seen oppression and despair and sadness turn so quickly into joy and hope and celebration. As for that, it is true. Friend, listen to me. It is true. He'll forgive you of every sin. It is true. He'll give you the gift of eternal life so that you can know when you leave this earth, heaven will be your home. It is true. He'll give you joy and abundant life right now. It is true. He will meet you right where you are. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.